Well, I welcome you this morning to an opportunity to look into the future. If you would turn with me, please, to your copy of the Bible, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. And this is the second in the series, the second message in this series, how to think as God's church. And you know all of these messages are recorded on our Facebook. You can see them posted later on. And beginning next week, we will live stream and begin live streaming the entire service where you get to see the awesome praise music, maybe even a baptism, and you'll even get to review and see my mistakes again. <laughs> Those will be, that will begin our live streaming next week. But look with me, please, to the book of Revelation the book of Revelation was written not just to scare the bejeebers out of you, but it was written to the church for the church to think. And the purpose is for the church to think how we are unified from eternity past through the future for two areas, two things. One is to be a blessing to this family of God and blessing to the world. And the second area, the second thing, is to prepare, prepare for the future and the return of Christ. And so the book of Revelation, if you would look in chapter 1, verse 3, is written, first of all, to be a blessing. The scripture says in verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it. And take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. That is, the more that we spend time with not just the book of Revelation, the entire scripture, we're spending time with the very revelator himself. Not John, but Jesus Christ. We're spending time with him. And we receive and we learn and we become a greater blessing because we're spending that time with him and we become a blessing to this world. Friends, the time is short. Read your scripture. Spend time reading and spend time with the Savior himself. And the second reason for the second purpose is to prepare. Revelation is written to prepare for the future. Chapter 1, verse 19 says this, Write therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. We can, friends, we can and we must prepare us, the church, and we can help and prepare this world for the future. So Revelation is not just a compilation of freakish events, but its purpose is for the church to think to think about its unity, the fact that it was unified and is unified to be a blessing and to prepare the world for the fact that this time is short. And the book of Revelation does it over three time spans. The past, as we look at our purpose in the past, our purpose in the present, and our purpose in the future. So looking at the past, the church is unified purpose, first off, is in the past. We are unified in God Almighty in the flesh. This is who Jesus Christ is. 
Look with me, if you will, and we're going to look at the scripture on the screen in chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. And look at who Jesus is. I turned, the scripture says, and I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as the snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And as we look at the scripture, we say, this is how we see Jesus Christ, who is the one who loved us from eternity past to make us a church, to make us an opportunity to heaven through forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Friends, as was prayed by Kevin so well, if you know Jesus, this is the time now. The time now to recognize that we are rooted in Jesus because he's loved us with an everlasting love. And it is the time for you who do not know Jesus or friends who do not know Jesus or friends or enemies or frenemies who don't know Jesus. The time for them to listen and to come to Jesus Christ who is the one who has rooted us in him. And this, interestingly... We find this description copied in other places or strikingly similar in other places in the Scripture, like in the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. But one of the most notable was that which was written 600 years before in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, where it says something so similar, it's striking. And I read from the Scripture in Daniel chapter 7. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was a flaming, flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. In other words, friends, the past purpose of the church is Jesus Christ. As was shared last week in the message, it is Jesus preeminent. There is no other purpose in life, whether it be you as a believer or a person who doesn't even know Jesus. There is no greater purpose than Jesus Christ. And this, the scripture says, is the reason, the reason we are connected. Because he loved us from eternity past. He is the same ancient of days. This person is God in the flesh. He's the reason for blessing. Because as we spend time with him, we receive the blessing of his very character. And he is also preparing us. He's preparing us in this world for the future to be a blessing, to be with Christ. 
And so as we look at our past, we say, wow, we're related to the Ancient of Days who has loved us with an everlasting love. That is how we are connected from eternity past to Him. But what about the present? The church, secondly, is unified in its purpose in the present. You know, as you look through the book of Revelation, you read that it is writing to churches. Remember, the book of Revelation is not just a set of freakish events. It is written to the church for us to be a blessing and to prepare the world for what is coming. And so as we read in chapters 2 and 3, we recognize that we are unified in purpose in the present. It writes to these historic churches, seven of them as a matter of fact, but it also is writing to us in the present time. Chapter 1, verse 11 and verse 19 point this out. Write, the scripture says, on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then he lists those seven historic churches in verse 19. And then he says, write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. If you note, there's three verbs being used in this passage, but the emphasis, the emphasis is on what is happening in the church today. These churches that are mentioned here are just representative of the hundreds of churches that existed in that first century time. These are not the only churches that existed, but these are representatives of all the church. And we know that also because this passage speaks repeatedly in the present tense, repeatedly for what is now. For example, Jesus says, I am who is. And then the scripture goes on in chapter 2. It says, I am he who walks among the churches. He commands us to hear us, hear us, hear us. Hear him, I'm sorry. As a matter of fact, seven times, seven times he is strikingly, he is solemnly warning the church, hear me, hear me, hear me. And he points this out seven times because he's got a message for the church today. And we're going to look at these churches briefly. For the first church is the church of Ephesus, named Ephesus, in the beginning of chapter 2. This church was praised. It was praised for its deeds, its hard work, its perseverance, like many churches today. But then Jesus mourns, and he says, but you have forgotten, you have forgotten your first love. That not only hurt the Lord, can you imagine how that hurt the Lord? But it also hurt those others and hurts others in the church today. For those who have so strongly held on to doctrinal purity, which is good, which is right, which is what we are responsible for. But then it did not show love, whether it be to the Lord or to each other. In contrast, this church right here in Waldorf, is showing love to each other. This church of Ephesus is not our church. This, however, is what is going on in churches today. The second church is Smyrna, chapter 2, beginning verse 8. Literally, this church was dirt poor, living on the trash heaps and the dumps of the world, and it was under evil persecution. 
But Jesus said this to that church. He said, you are rich. In the eyes of his own self, his own son, he said, you are rich. It was only one of two churches, not rebuked. Only one of two. And Jesus says to this hurting church, be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you life, life as your victor's crown. When you think of all the things that can be given to us in heaven, Jesus says, I can come and I have come to give life and life in abundance. And to this church, this hurting, persecuted church, like many churches today, Jesus as well as saying, I'm going to give you life upon life more than others when you are with me. The third church is Pergamum, chapter 2, beginning verse 12. This church was praised because you did not, he says, you did not renounce your faith in me. And yet I have a few things against you. There are some of you who hold on to the teaching of Balaam and have committed sexual immorality, which is the teaching of Balaam. That is, that in the time of Balaam, who was persuading the Israelites, the people of God, to go out and perform sexual immorality because it was okay. And that is what is happening in many churches today, where it is okay for the leaders, it's okay for people to do this and still be a person of God, to still be a Christian. It's sad that leaders and even those within the body sometimes are still normalizing immorality. But then he goes on to the next church, Thyatira, chapter 2, verse 18 and following. This church was praised for growing in faith, in service, but its downfall was devotion to a person called Jezebel a prophet called Jezebel, a tremendous leader, notable, maybe even beautiful, but a tremendous leader who was speaking the words of God, and yet this prophet Jezebel, like many leaders today within the church, are leading people to say it's okay to commit sexual immorality. And this is what we are experiencing in many places today. And the Lord himself is speaking to the church. Seven times he says, hear me, listen to me, please. The next church is Sardis, chapter 3, the beginning. This church, Jesus warns. He warns those who have soiled their lives, soiled their lives and really have not changed. They have not repented. And he gives them a shocking judgment. He says, you are dead. But he also reassured those who were not soiled, those who have come to Christ, those who have repented from whatever is the past. And those he reassured and he said to them, I, listen carefully, I will never blot out the names of that person from the book of life. Ah, it's reassuring to know that those who come to Jesus are never blotted out of the book of life. The church that follows next is the church called Philadelphia. 
chapter 3, beginning verse 7. It was the only second church not reproved, not rebuked. The only second church. And he says, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. You may be saying that yourself. But you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. And here we find a key promise that I'll share with you later on. A key promise that was written not just to the church then, but to the church today, in which he says, Since now you have kept my command, I will also keep you from the tower or the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world. The last church is Laodicea, chapter 3, beginning verse 14. This church, this church was not praised at all. Not one word of praise at all for this church. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either, one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor, hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. And friends, he says this to all the church, not just to those few who were responsible for this, but he says to all the church, and this is good news, because he places it at the very end of his address to all those emblematic, those Churches that were representative of all churches. He says this. Those who I love, I rebuke. I discipline. But be earnest. Repent. Here I am. Some of your versions say, behold. In other words, suddenly look at me. Behold, I stand at the door. And I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will sup or eat with that person and they with me. Ah, now he makes the invitation. Now he's calling not just to those who are not aware of who Jesus is. He's calling the church to open the door to him. Friends, there are several, several important reveals about the church then as well as the church present today. Some of these are, one, Christ is present. It says, I am, I, I, I am here, I was, and I am to come. Another point, five of the churches, all five of those churches out of seven, 70% had problems, big problems. Two of the churches received complete praise. One church received no praise whatsoever. Two churches were involved in sexually immoral practices. That doesn't mean everyone, but it means that it was known, and it means that it was going on. One church was rich in the eyes of God. One church was poor in the eyes of God. Four churches had satanic influence, satanic contact, satanic oppression, Four churches, 60%. But these are the three most important things to note out of these reveals about Jesus Christ and the church at present. 
This is the first one. Jesus talks. Jesus walks among all the churches. He listens to your prayer. He is nurturing. He is reproving. He is hurting with you. He is here in his church. The second most important one is each church is assigned an angel. Look around. Look around. You may see that angel if you look carefully. And then the last, all churches, all churches, all churches. He pleads, open the door. Open the door to me. So church, we must be a blessing. That's why the church, that's why he pleads in the present. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Have you heard that knocking? Well, next and last, we the church must prepare for the future. The purpose is not only in the past to be a blessing, in the present to be a blessing, but in the future to prepare the world and us. The church is unified in this purpose for the future. So if you look at the book of Revelation, you'll notice chapter 1 is referring to the past. Chapters 2 and 3 is referring to the present. Chapter 4 through 22 through the end of the book is the future. All of the future. And it has to do with the church and what Jesus is doing in the world through the church. And it begins with chapter 4, verse 1. After this, the Apostle John writes, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. The church is unified together in Christ from eternity past. He's loved us. He planned on us. He couldn't wait for us to come. He loved us with an everlasting love. In the time past, with the Ancient of Days, He had planned this all along. And then also in the church present, He pleads, open the door. Open the door to me. Hear my voice. Hear my knocking. And then, for the future, He wants us to be a blessing, yes. But He also wants us to prepare. Prepare for the future. And the future is what's coming up next. There are two things, two things that are next. The first thing, you may have heard it before, the first thing is called rapture. Now, four, chapter 4, verse 1 opens up with the very next event in the future. And I call it, and you may have heard it called, the rapture. 4, verse 1 commands... The entire church. He's not just talking to the Apostle John. He's talking to the entire church. And he commands, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. You know, the rapture happens after this. After this. The church's purpose in the past Chapters 1 and 2, or chapter 1. The church's purpose in the present, chapters 2 and 3. And then, then the scripture says, immediately we are before the throne in the future. And I know I'm sharing with you 
some areas that may be controversial, and I'll share with you my views on this. You study the Scripture as this body of believers is known to do. You make the Lord proud because you love His Word. But these are some of the things that identify the rapture, that some of the characteristics. First off, it's a command. He doesn't command just a few people, just the good ones. He commands all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, come up here. It's a command. It also happens immediately. Chapter 4, verse 2 uses the word immediately, literally to mean in a snap. 1 Corinthians says it this way, in the blink of an eye. And then the last characteristic, it transports all believers, everyone, who is a believer in Jesus, immediately before Christ, before his throne. And I want to share with you that I sense that this is a fulfillment of a key promise that I had mentioned to you earlier in chapter 3, verse 10, in which he said, I will keep you from the trial that is going to come upon the whole world. And he was not just writing to the church of Philadelphia. He's writing to all the churches. For he says, listen, hear me, all churches, hear me. So the church, and for us, the rapture is the next thing in the future. We must prepare for the future. The rapture is next. What else is next? Reassurance. Reassurance. There are three verbs that reassure us that comfort us concerning the future, because this can be upsetting. And the Lord knows that. And so three verbs he uses to reassure and comfort us. The first verb is this, in chapter 4, verse 2. The first verb is sitting. Sitting. 4, verse 2 says, At once I was in the Spirit, immediately. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The future, friends, shows that Jesus Christ is in charge. The future shows him sitting on his throne. Did you know in chapters 1 through 3, you probably read it yourself, he was walking among all of the churches. He was checking on how you were doing. He is listening to your prayers. He is responding to your grief. He's reproving, but he was walking. Now we see he's sitting in charge. Friends, the words matter, and the scripture doesn't mix words. He is sitting in charge. He is the sovereign, the king of kings. He's saving and he's even avenging. Now, some of you have been part of very hierarchical jobs, maybe even the military. And how many of you have seen the boss? Maybe you have, but usually not the boss wringing her hands or his hands or walking among you, maybe in a good gesture. But you know, if you want to see the boss in charge, the commander in charge, that commander, when you walk in a room, is sitting. That person is in charge. Jesus Christ, friends, is sitting in charge. He is secure. He is ready to act on our behalf. And the future also shows that he's sitting because he is ready. He's poised. In four, chapter 4, verse 5, it says, 
From the throne come flashes of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. You see, Christ is in charge, seen in the torches that were blazing in readiness. They were a fire, a flame in readiness, ready to act. Very similar to what happened on Mount Sinai in the scripture that was smoking and fire and flashes of lightning were coming out of it. Because why? The law was about to be given. The law that would eventually lead us to understand that without Jesus Christ, we can get nowhere. There's no forgiveness unless there's Jesus. And so in the same way, these blazing torches were showing that he's ready, he's poised, he's even going to leap to help, as we find later on in the book of Revelation. You know, the future shows that the meek and mild Jesus is actually the magnificent and the mighty Jesus in charge. The second verb that reassures us is the verb surrounding, verse, chapter uh, 4, verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and those seated upon them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And the future shows this, that we are in service. He's in charge, but we are in service. The future shows that everyone who is saved is serving their loving Lord. The future shows those who are serving are already rewarded. They have the white gowns on that later on we see are the gowns of forgiveness. And they have gold crowns upon their head out of their reward. The future shows that we're in service with him who we love. The third verb is this, of reassurance. It's singing. Chapter 4, verse 8. And each one of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and under its wings. Day and night they never stopped singing. Holy, holy, holy. And they lay their crowns before the throne. And the elders say, you are worthy, our Lord and God. And we know that they were singing because these very same people are singing in chapter 5. Friends, the future shows us in heaven's home. In home. Singing. Rejoicing. Even laying burdens down. You know, we are going to have opportunity to praise and to sing And to even try to sing as well as our own praise team sings is going to be easy as we sing and we rest before him. So in conclusion, Revelation is written to the church. And it's written for a purpose. That we are a blessing. But that blessing comes by spending time with the Christ the one who is revealed, spending time in his word. Remember what it says. Blessed are those who read the words of this prophecy and of the scripture. Read it. Get a blessing. 
and get that blessing to give it. We are unified in the past because he's loved us from eternity past. We are unified in the present and he is calling to us. He's knocking to open the door. And we in the future are preparing. We are preparing not only this church, not only others, but we're preparing this world for the future that's about to happen. Revelation is also written with a plea. And this is the plea. Come. Come to me. You were a blessing when we come to him. Have you thought about laying down that which impedes you? Those things which are holding you back. Those things which you know are resisting the Spirit. Come to him and renew your blessing. And if those here who do not know Jesus, who have never said, Jesus, come into my heart, then receive his blessing, the blessing now of Jesus Christ, the very one who is the Ancient of Days, the one who's loved you from eternity past. So the blessing comes by coming, but we can also prepare and come to him. Prepare for Christ's return. Come, come now. Prepare yourself. Prepare your family. Prepare your employees. Prepare those who are your co-workers. Prepare your friends. Prepare this world that needs Jesus. Now we can prepare by coming. Now is the day to decide your future. That is to come to him. And so I ask you if you will please stand with me to receive the benediction. If you're able to stand, if you're not able to stand, don't feel pressed. But stand with me to receive the benediction that comes from the end of the book of Revelation. The very promise that he gives that blessing in which it says this in chapter 22. And I pray this blessing upon you. Behold, he says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy in this book. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears it say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And the one who desires the water of life, drink freely. Come. And so now, Lord, we say to you, we do come. We come as young and old. We come to you, for we want to be more of a blessing. We want to be a blessing to those around us. And we want to prepare ourselves, as well as this world, for your soon return. Lord Jesus, Come, and we pray in the mighty name of our Savior. Amen and amen.